Mayfield and Company's NABJ Gambling Roundtable on ESPN Las Vegas with your hosts, Steve Cofield and Xavier Pope. Yeah, how about that? I like that. Power voice guy, Leon. <laughs> I sent him the uh, pronunciation. I was like, you got to get this right. Got to get this right. So Xavier Pope is here. Xavier is a regular on the show, and NABJ is in town. So we figured... We put together a gambling roundtable, like perfect, right, in the sports landscape with uh, what's going on in Las Vegas with the National Convention for NABJ and NAHJ in town. And we have some folks who are down here at the Golden Circle. Uh, Our first show of the season, we're going to be here all the way through May. It's at Treasure Island. We have Andrew Lynch with us from Action Network. Uh, Femi. I'm going to botch the last name. Oh, no, you're Abebefe. not. Abebefe. I got hit it out the park. Pritch, who is, you know, a longtime ESPN Las Vegas voice, and now he's down at VEASAN. Femi's from VEASAN as well, and Xavier's here. So, dude, I'm fired up. But first of all, I'm fired up to see you in person. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, we've talked on the show for years now, and you're in town, and you're a big part of NABJ. So I'm excited for this. This is going to be a really cool conversation over the next hour. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm actually excited to be here too, uh, Steve. And, uh, and I know that the – ESPN Las Vegas family who listens are excited to hear me here being here in Las Vegas. Gentlemen, thank you for joining the panel. Thank you everyone um, that's here, uh, especially shout out to the NABJ Sports Task Force, my family, uh, and putting in great programming in during this time that we're here. Um, First question I want to send up to the panel. uh, Las Vegas. The name of the panel is from going for forbidden to Vegas mainstream. There was a time that Las Vegas was seen as a place that you just don't connect to sports gaming at all. But now we've had an explosion um, in the industry as well as no no way you would think a a sports franchise would wind up in Las Vegas. Now there's a football team, basketball team, WNBA team. Um, There's a hockey team. There's rumors of maybe an, an NBA team coming to Las Vegas. So anyone you all can take this question, what has changed significantly that you've seen in the last uh, five years in the industry that, that that's propelled this, um, this situation forward? Boy, uh, I guess I'll take the first sure. crack at this one. Um, and I think the big thing and the big pivot that we saw from an embracement standpoint was probably PASPA being repealed in 2018 that's the professional amateur sports protection act did i get that right i think i got that right but passed which, which essentially was it prevented any other state from legalizing sports betting outside of nevada so nevada was the mecca where you could have to come down here do sports betting but once that was repealed by the supreme court i think that opened things up for the states like new jersey and all these other states that wanted to get involved in sports betting and i think when that happened you saw a lot of these major networks think okay this is something that's going to be coming down the pipeline because I think a lot of people knew that people would bet in the shadows didn't really talk about it outside of Nevada but we knew that there was a hunger and there was a thirst for that kind of content and that kind of um, just participation with consuming sports to where I think that was really like the big pivot point in my eyes at least for me specifically as well in knowing that this was going to be a big deal not just in Nevada but now nationally anyone else yeah I think to some extent, it, it probably comes down to lobbying, right, and where the money is going behind the scenes because there's so much money at stake. And that leads to acceptance and honesty, right? This is an industry that has been growing for decades, and it's only now that you, we're really seeing um, the openness and the transparency. And I think that's that's absolutely crucial, especially for some of the conversations we're going to have today. Rich, you, yeah. you, you played for the Raiders. Right. Well, not for, not for the Raiders. Raiders. Wait, wait, we played in the NFL, rather. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and you had a career in the NFL, and you you were able to see sports and how it was perceived as, a, as an athlete. Yeah. So in, in terms of the landscape changing in the last five years, and you, how do you connect you playing and now being on the other side of that and being connected to sports gaming? How do you have seen that in the perception as a player and yeah. then now, uh, now being on the broadcast side? So I, I played Little League football. I'm from Vegas. So I played Little League That's football out here. And uh, my first team was the Raiders. So I'm an OG, right? <laughs> I'm an OG Raider. Um, but, uh, no, it's, it's fascinating, Xavier, because – I never thought, growing up here, I, I never thought um, sports entities, uh, National Football League, NBA, MLB, would embrace 
Vegas the way it has, right? But you mentioned it. There's a sports franchise here. Uh, there's WNBA's here. We know that. We know the NHL is here too. So the landscape for me has completely shifted from Vegas being just sports entertainment to uh, sports betting entertainment now. And, and uh, from a vast standpoint, too, you look at the country, and, and Femi hit on it, PASPA being uh, repealed or, or, or certainly you see legalization spreading. Uh, that has just opened up so many other revenue avenues for these sports franchises, these leagues. Uh, so I, I think it's just the beginning of what we've seen right now, just the tip of the iceberg, really. I'll give you a quick indication of how much has changed. So I've been here since 1996. So what's that, 26 uh, years ago when I first came out to do radio? I mean, we were almost an enemy of pro sports. Not, it wasn't our choice, but the way they looked at us, like this is an evil place. And like even into the early 2000s, in 2003, the Super Bowl was coming up, and we had all these big parties, and the NFL instituted something. It was basically like the 53-inch TV rule, right? And they threatened to come out to all these casinos, and they had all these ballrooms, and they were charging people to get in to watch the Super Bowl, which that, that, was not, that, that wasn't cool. But they threatened to come out and, like, measure the TVs. I'll always remember that. Yeah. They turned down advertising on NBC for the show Vegas. Like, that's hard. They're like, we don't want to be yeah. connected to it. And I, I actually, I was lucky enough. I actually got in Sports Illustrated with a couple of photos. I mean, right? Um, because uh, one of the writers, Ian Thompson, did a, a piece. I think it was in 2006. And Vegas is a crazy place. Like we, we often do shows from sports books. We do shows from strip clubs, right? Yeah. So we went to a strip club at that time. It was striptease, and he wanted to do a feature in 2005 and six on the future of pro sports in Las Vegas. And I, I did it, and I was like, I mean, it's a great place. We should have major league sports, but it's probably not going to happen. But that, I mean, that, think about it. That was 16 years ago. Inside of 20 years, yeah. this place was like the enemy of major yeah. league sports, and look at where we are now. Yeah, I'd add on to that. And the perception of the public's connection to mm -hmm. sports gaming itself and its relationship to Las Vegas going to a family-friendly place where you bring your kids and they're in the pool uh, to be an acceptable place for entertainment for all ages, and then that translating to uh, some of the uh, the uh, changing of the legislation and now uh, being an important part of culture itself. I uh, wanted to move on uh, to another topic. Uh, did major league owners buying into the back end of ownership of gaming sites force the hand of commissioners to open their minds to, uh, to professional sports? Uh, and uh, what major sport has done the best job in terms of its connection to uh, sports gaming? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I'll take this one first because, uh, you know, Xavier, you know this. Uh, they scared the bejesus out of us as athletes uh, yeah. before the season, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, sports betting, do not venture into that. Um, I, I think for me, I didn't even go near a book. And I'm, I live here. I'm from Vegas. I have people that work uh, in the industry and I didn't even want to be caught anywhere near a book. When the Raiders were looking at coming here, um, I, I thought it'd be a realistic opportunity, certainly uh, from a growth standpoint. And then when they did eventually move here, I, I think that just opened up the door to everybody else. I, I think the National Football League exper experimented and looked at sports betting, at the regulation of it, and how uh, it could be policed. And then they, they became less fearful, right? Uh, so I think that was the first door that opened. And then certainly when the NHL arrived here, too, uh, and they, people could see that Vegas, uh, which is a global city, uh, the revenue that could be generated by aligning themselves with this industry, I, I mean, that, that was the writing on the wall right there. Yeah, I almost think, yeah, like the NHL kind of ripping the Band-Aid off and coming and showing that you can actually have a professional sports franchise in Las Vegas and everything isn't going to just crumble, you know, because the people associate Vegas with Sin City and what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. So it has that kind of moniker surrounding it that it's a place of people just lose their inhibitions and they go crazy and then everything that happens, they go back home and then they become normal people where it's you can still have things in Las Vegas, even though there's all the temptations or what have you that are on the table and all the, the downsides of everything that could be. But I think the NHL coming in there first allowed places like the NFL to then come, okay, we can do this because there's a revenue stream there. If we get behind betting, I mean, the NFL partners with DraftKings and FanDuel and all these sports betting uh, operations here because there's so much money involved in it, almost similar to the fantasy football boom to where they understood, yeah. wow, fantasy sports, a lot of people 
consume our sport through this vehicle. Yeah. Let's make it welcoming for them as well, and maybe we can build more fans just from a general standpoint. It is fascinating just because it's not that long ago that Shaquille O'Neal had to divest himself of his minority shares in the Kings because mm -hmm. he was joining up with Win. I believe it was Win, mm -hmm. um, but in a very operational-based role, right? Whereas last week, Underdog Fantasy is applying for an Ohio uh, betting license and has Trey Young and Kevin Durant and Mark Cuban's name on the press release, right? So is that, given the Shaq element of that, though, does that mean that it was the owner's buying in or an NBA related person like Shaq buying in or did it become just to a point where the money was so vast that the, the owners were almost champing at the bit and just waiting for permission to do it mm -hmm. yeah I, I think that the element of that definitely is the the changing of how con, uh, con, content is consumed yeah um, now we have I mean if you watch any NFL game it's it's for a sports book and mm -hmm. and and JB smooth <laughs> and we know who that is associated with, yeah. right? And and so uh, it's been connecting to apps and how people can watch uh, live content, and that has been premium. Pre premium has been sports. Yeah, that's the mm -hmm. most valuable property in live content, and so that in in itself is giving more opportunities for leagues to get more money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> expand broadcasting dollars, expand broadcasting rights to be able to. Uh, leverage the content in games itself. Well, think about it as a growth. Uh, I mean, we're, we're talking about the National Football League, the NBA, MLB, everybody, NHL. Mm -hmm. They all want to grow. Uh, I remember the NFL came out years ago, and they, their stated goal was $25 billion annually. And how are they going to get there? <laughs> yeah, they got to they gotta grow globally <laughs> yeah. for sure, yeah. and that includes sports betting. Uh, so let's align ourselves. Let's create these partnerships, which they have. Uh, and so now they're approaching $20 billion uh, and certainly with the amount of games that the NFL is going to have and provide overseas this year, you can yeah. just see how global the NFL wants to go. That's just the NFL. But uh, you can see other leagues doing similar things. Uh, but they have to align themselves. The partnerships, the media rights, uh, everything uh, is all associated uh, from a revenue standpoint. Yeah, and I think also, too, they're looking at what is going to engage viewers as well, especially younger viewers, the demographic that they're really after. They say the younger viewers, the attention spans might not be as long as maybe 20, 15 years ago. So how can we engage these people with our product, not just from a general game standpoint, but also the game within the game, I think, as well. And that's kind of a way that they can engage some of those younger viewers. And more viewers means more dollars from the advertisers as well. And it's, so, it's, it's such an incredible point because – that only happens when you're open and you have regulation and you're, and you're transparent yeah. and it's legal because then you can think about creative ways to drive people into the product, right? Like, yeah. I'm not a big baseball fan. I'll bet a Nerfie all day long because <laughs> I know in 20 minutes my bet is over, right? right? I've yeah. cashed or I've not cashed and I can move on. And I'm 37 years old. I'm not, a, you know, I'm not yeah. a, a young person yeah. by any means. So I, I think that's kind of also the, a really important point here is the more open and transparent and honest and regulated mm -hmm. this is, the more opportunities there are because you don't necessarily have to know the code words to get in, right? It opens up the door for the types of content we do, the types of bets that are available, being able to get people engaged and get people in behind the scenes creating that kind of stuff as well. We're going to take a quick timeout. We're doing a sports gambling roundtable here at Treasure Island. NABJ is in town. Xavier Pope is uh, moderating the panel. And we'll come back. We'll address that question of, uh, you know, again, the owners finding ways to uh, grow their revenue streams by getting into gaming. And then we'll also talk about the sports that are doing the best and worst job of embracing sports gambling and embracing Las Vegas. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. Cofield and Company is live at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar with the NABJ Gambling Roundtable. Xavier Pope is here moderating the panel. We got Femi along with us, Andrew Lynch, and uh, Pritch is here. Pritch is here, of course, uh, Vegas local played in the National Football League. One quick thing I wanted to build on that we were just talking about, um, and I'll ask this to Andrew. I, I actually thought once owners got a little bit of taste in Major League Sports of what sports gambling is and by the way there are owners in the nfl if you go back a couple of generations of family they were bookmakers so like the giants family they were bookmakers so they, they they already knew about gambling and how big it was but i thought when robert Kraft and jerry jones bought into some websites on the back end for fantasy which we can debate if it's gambling or not but i thought once there was a taste there then you might you, know, you might have a little 
problem in terms of like meshing, like, hey, sports gambling is the enemy. So I, I thought that opened things up, too, when they saw how much revenue could be generated. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I think it all, it all comes down to, to the money, right? And not in a bad way. It's just the reality of the situation, and especially in a world where who knows what television rights deals look like 10 or 15 or 20 years from now. How do you make up that revenue and continue to project growth? I mean, look at all the money that's in sports betting in an industry that I would argue is still very immature and is only going to make more and more money for a lot of people. Yeah, to your point, Steve and Xavier, I mean, you think about the ownership. Like, they're in gambling from other angles, too, though, yeah. right? Because you got eSports and Mark Cuban. You got iGaming and all these investments that these owners have on top of uh, the fact that they own the sports franchises, too. So they're, they're in sports betting from different angles, uh, and that's usually what these owners are all about. Why do you think the NBA is pretty much one of the last to come to the party? Do you think it's the Tim Donahue scandal? Uh, any other factors you believe? Uh, because NBA comes here, Summer League, every summer. Pretty much is part of what the NBA does to transition from one season to the next. So why the NBA not as much as maybe uh, the NFL, particularly when the NFL was really, really, really on one, one complete other side and flipped it um, when it came to the Raiders? So it's a, it's a fascinating question because the NBA is so progressive in so many other spaces, right? Not even politically, just in terms of, like, how they treat highlights and pirating of things like that online. They tend to be very thoughtful in terms of how they can make money. I think it's it's twofold. I think it's the Donahue scandal and always being mindful of that. And I, always, I also think there's always been this consideration in the league office to some extent that in a sport where one player can have such an outsized impact on the game, there is risk there, right? And I think they have gotten comfortable with that, but it probably was something they had to think through. And I think also just time as well. You know, I mean, like, think about it. They're looking at expansion fees, especially with COVID, the pandemic, trying to make up some of those losses. So I think they're probably more willing to expand. Maybe they come to Vegas. Maybe they go to Seattle as a Seattle native. I'm hoping that we can get a team back in the NBA. But um, I think it's mainly just the time and the effort to get those expansion fees because the owners make money on those as well. Um, and Vegas has been the team that's been rumored out here. But it's slowly coming along. I think with the NBA, I don't know if it's necessarily that they're scared to do it, but it's just the time hasn't worked out, and maybe a little bit four or five years down the line, it eventually happens. What is the most creative thing that you've seen in terms of sports leagues or sports teams um, with with sports gaming? Man, so I have I have one example, and I think it's a sport that most people don't necessarily think about when they think about sports betting, but it's NASCAR. And it's, it's an example that's very specific to us. But we actually have a partnership with NASCAR at Action Network where we will send out a poll on a Monday morning asking, you know, which driver matchups do fans, you know, are fans really interested in? And then NASCAR will use that information to put, you know, driver head-to-head bets out there, right? And I think turning that fan engagement and actually turning to your fans and saying, hey, what are you interested in? Let's build markets around that. That, it's simple, but it's so, so powerful. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, to dovetail off of that, Andrew, uh, in terms of what's coming next down the pipe, in terms of the tr- transitioning, with it, basically a booming space, uh, mm-hmm. we see widespread availability on screen, betting options on our TVs. Will that be incorporated into content? You, you're watching the game, and you, you pull up an app, and boom, directly go to betting during a game do you do you see that as a future and any other things you see what comes next in terms of sports gaming in the connection with sports i think that's yeah. the one right there is like on demand while you're watching the game with the remote control you can have your credit card or whatever linked to your account and then boom you can place a bet on a game that you're watching live betting like in-game betting i think is like the biggest thing that's next and it's already here yeah. but i think it's going to be more of an emphasis on in-game betting to get people who maybe didn't bet the game beforehand to get them engaged in it as well it is not a coincidence that the murdoch family and fox sports are aligning themselves with a sports book specifically uh-huh. um <laughs> once that is allowed to happen that will happen yeah, no, it's it's the in-game experience, and certainly uh, it's going to coincide with the, the media growth of things, too, because you're going to see uh, the partners, the media partners, want to be involved in it as well. So yeah. I, I think the monster, guys, is, is college football. There we go. Because college yep. football is is just at, 
just beginning uh, to expose themselves to this. And, uh, and, and so how exciting that's going to be uh, for a lot of people. And, and, and I think people are recognizing that too. But from a media partner standpoint, even from these institutions standpoint, uh, they see that. And, and that's, that's the monster uh, that's waiting to arrive uh, next. I totally agree. That's College sports are the ones who have done the worst job. But I understand yeah. it. Yeah. They're also dealing with right. much younger athletes. Pritch, you played college football, so I mean, I don't know if anyone ever approached you about gambling. I mean, that is a great fear, and we've had scandals in the past with Arizona State, with Boston College. Uh, But I will point out, back to Andrew's point about 20 minutes ago, regulation is the biggest thing that's opened this up. We caught, Vegas caught the Arizona State cheating scandal. We we caught it Mm -hmm. because we tracked the numbers. Mm -hmm. By we, I mean the sports books, right? They saw the unusual betting patterns. But I understand that, you know, college athletes are – that's kind of the next frontier. Um, how tough is it? Like, how tough would you think it would be to manage? Because NIL is helping, right? So now yeah. kids are getting money. It's not like it used to be where you've got kids who were super poor and kind of struggling. That, that is a challenge. It is. You know, it's going to be fascinating because I, I don't know how. Because uh, a lot of times, Steve, and I'll be candid, I mean – a lot of things were swept under the rug for five years. If you can hide it for five years, you're not going to get caught, right? And, and so I, I don't know where college football or, or revenue-generating sports, college basketball, where they want to go with it. Uh, I don't know how they're going to to manage the athletes or people approaching the athletes other than education. It's the same thing when we were playing in the league. Um, and, and like, like I said, living here in Vegas – I didn't even go near a book because I didn't want the FBI or any initial knocking on my door uh, saying, hey, what's your association with this person or what's your association with that person yeah. uh, because the NFL might be worried about that. So uh, I, I think there's going to be become too much at stake for college athletes uh, from an NIL standpoint and certainly their future to hopefully from an education standpoint, they will understand just don't align yourselves uh, in any way with uh, with that industry, and I don't think they have, they have that pressure though right. with deregulation, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they right, can find right. so many different avenues right. as the content continues to evolve, and the incorporation of that content to be able to freely make whatever money they they want without mm-hmm. having to deal with some of those uh, more seedy issues. Quick timeout. We got to uh, got to take care of the sponsors. We'll come back. NABJ Sports Gambling Roundtable. On the way back, I do I do want to address where I think. The real revolutionary thing could happen um, in college sports. It's one of the biggest topics right now, and I think aligning themselves with sports gambling actually could save some conferences. Mm. Cofield and Company will be back in minutes right here on ESPN Las Vegas. ESPN Las Vegas is live from Treasure Island with the NABJ Gambling Roundtable. So we got Mike Pritchard here from VEASAN, also from VEASAN, Femi Abebefe, Xavier Pope out of Chicago, one of our regulars, and Andrew Lynch from Action Network. So I, uh, I teased you know, where we could go next in terms of being revolutionary with sports gambling. Listen, in college sports right now, the Pac-12 is on the verge of getting picked apart. Pritch, you went to Colorado. Femi, you're from Seattle. So you know, Oregon and Washington are right there. They're looking at other conferences. The NCAA is just basically dead. That would be the thing that might be in the way of a partnership. Why wouldn't the Pac-12, by the way, led by former MGM grand executive George Klavkov, why wouldn't they be hyper-aggressive and go, you know what, we're done, we're leading the charge, you know, here's $2 billion, whatever the number would be. I, they would, the, the Big Ten is looking for, I think it's like $1.15 billion a year in rights fees. Mm-hmm. Do you know what, like, if they had one exclusive book or a couple of books, you know what the Pac-12 could haul in and save their conference with? So wh- what are the negatives there, guys? Like, why, why can't that happen? Ooh. I mean, you'd have to get the presidents to sign off on it from the universities. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the big thing. And, and they're the academics. And I would say not to generalize all those people, but they're probably the group that's slower to embracing sports betting would be my guess. So I think they would think about all the negatives first before they even weighed some of the positives of how much revenue this would bring in. This could also save the conference, which is a geographic footprint out on the West Coast that's now been broken up with USC and UCLA going out to the Big Ten. So I think you have the academic side of it with the university presidents who control a lot of these conference decisions probably thinking that, all right, this is going to compromise our players, our student-athletes, or what they want to call them. Um, and that's probably be the only hang-up, I think, but that's the biggest hang-up of all because those are the key decision-makers. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason why George Klikoff is there, though. I yeah. mean, <laughs> I, it's, it's a growth. So 
to answer your question specifically, Steve, I, I think it's an optics thing. Like, mm -hmm. we're still amateur sports, but yeah. we're exposing this business model to everybody right now, right? And so eventually uh, that's going to change. I, I think what Femi hit on, too, from, a, from uh, uh, an institution, the presidents, or even athletic directors, but it, this, is, this is moving towards conference presidents and commissioners, though. Uh, and the NCAA, you're right, is gone. And uh, we're going to see the super conferences form. We're going to see the expansion of playoffs. We're going to see the involvement of more media entities. I mean, look out for CBS and NBC, too. So yeah. um, I, I think when all that comes together, uh, it, it's, just, it's just a matter of time before they embrace uh, everything else that comes that's associated with that, which, which is sports betting, right? So it's the optics right now as you're moving away from amateur sports and we're yeah. exposing this business model. Uh, everybody's a little worried about that right now. I'm glad you put quotes around amateur sports <laughs> because it, it's not. Like, right. like, with all the conference realignment that we've seen, yeah. this is not amateur sports. This is big business as we've seen that these TV deals are massive and make these schools a ton of money. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but how do, does one conference, though, you talk about saving a conference, but we know the big, the big, the big boy in town is the SEC. Yeah. It, do you see them – seeing the money and going, hey, this is where we're going and this is how we can further bully the other conferences in terms of how much money we can make. I don't think they'll try to take advantage of like being the first mover by any means because they're mm. already making so yeah. much money. They don't right? care. Necess no, I think they care. They definitely They care. just don't have the urgency that a Pac-12 does, uh, right? Because necessity is the mother of invention. And, yeah. you know, tangentially to that, if you don't have another option, you go with your last option. If you're already making all of that money, you know how much more money there is to be made. You're going to let someone else do it first, take those blows, and then you'll come in over the top. It'll be interesting to see what they do, though, the NCAA, because they own college basketball. Yeah. Right? So as college football becomes different, you know, the NFL model even from NFC conference, AFC conference, SEC, Big Ten, right? Uh, it'll be interesting to see what the NCAA does with what they own, which is college basketball. Yeah. We've talked about some of the major sports, but what about the booming world of esports mm. and the connection potentially with esports and sports gaming um, we, there are tons of there are a bunch of uh, tournaments going on right now here in Vegas, mm -hmm. and the there's already an arena right up the street. Uh, where do you see that exploding in terms of the sports gaming element of it? Whew. that's that's a, that's a good question because I, I don't follow esports a ton, but I know it's massive, especially on Twitch, yeah. to where you can get a lot of viewers watching some of these professional gamers and stuff. And whether people start to bet on that, I mean, it's already happening, I'm sure, offshore. Uh, whether that becomes a more regulated market, I think that's really where it can sort of take off. Because I think your networks are always looking for live programming. Mm -hmm. And all it takes is one of these networks to say, we're going to get an eSports TV deal to where maybe this comes to become a more mainstream thing. It's yeah. mainstream online, but I don't think it's mainstream in really the national stream of consciousness right. in a sense. So I think maybe it, it has a lot of room to grow, definitely. Yeah. Um, but I, I mean, I'm not sure until you maybe you get regulated sports books offering betting on esports, then maybe that's when you get the actual boom that is it appears is on the horizon. Yeah, can least. you make a book for that? I mean, can you can you book <laughs> yeah, it? Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Right. How do you even yeah, book it? Because it's yeah. content. It's content. It is. And it's content. so yeah. exactly. if you look at where the growth is, is everything content oriented? And, and if you can find content and then find other avenues or ways to create revenue, that you're going to do that. Mm -hmm. And which sport? is best designed to maximize sports gaming in content delivery? That's a great question. Yeah, that's oh. really I think it's football. Yeah, as, as unfair as it is, it's football because yeah. you have discrete plays where something happens. You, Unless you know a team is running a no huddle or some sort of hurry up offense, you have a brief pause yeah. to then what's mm. the next play. You can account for latency and whether someone is streaming or whether they're watching over satellite or cable or whatever it might be. Um, it's a very simple answer, but if like off the top of my head, I would probably say football. And baseball has some similarity there as well with the, the pace. It is, it is interesting because of the global nature and what the NFL wants to do with football, but golf might be it, Golf's though. An interesting golf is, golf is a boomer. There's a reason why there's live, right? There's a reason why uh, the PGA is being challenged right now because there's so many other ways to grow. And it, right now, you, because you said, you know, you can actually look at players and, and if you can in-game bet a golf, I mean, the mm -hmm. growth of that uh, could be massive, right? And so uh, 
I, I agree with you. I think football is right there for the taking, but I, I wouldn't sleep on golf, though. And, and I think golf it might be more willing to embrace it because of the live situation. You might mm. get the PGA to whereas maybe they were a little bit apprehensive, didn't want to dive fully into sports betting because you see it a little bit. Sometimes you'll see some live odds on the leaderboard and kind of those comparisons. But maybe now with live being a at least a perceived threat sure. to the PGA Tour, maybe they embrace that more. I think UFC is also yeah. uh, really uh, equipped to handle this, and they're right here in the Apex, is in Las Vegas and all that. So uh, that was golf and UFC were the two sports that came back first in 2020 during the pandemic. And I think that they actually gained viewers and fans because people were itching on something to bet on or just something to watch from a sports betting or sports standpoint to where they maybe watch something they wouldn't have in the past when we had the normal sports cadence at least. And I think golf, UFC, and NASCAR, I, I would na add NASCAR there, they mm -hmm. have this interesting element of like really engaging fans the way they engage with sports where like I think back to my dad is a huge NASCAR fan and if he could have bet on Dale Earnhardt to finish ahead of Jeff Gordon every single Sunday, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, like, I wouldn't have a house, right? Because like he would have done that. So... <laughs> And uh, sadly, and it's, it's one of my favorite sports, basketball is, I don't know how basketball changes because it is the worst to bet. Yeah. Yep. In game. Because yes. that's what you're looking at. Is the most, yeah. Like, golf is fascinating. Why can't you just start betting on made putts, hit the green, mm -hmm. distance of drive? I mean, you can, you can monetize everything. Basketball goes so fast. Like, if you, you guys ever try to bet basketball in game, yeah. I mean, Andrew knows this, yeah. it's freaking impossible. Uh, constantly spinning and yeah. like I, I have this yeah. line up it's gone yeah. only during commercial breaks for me that's it you can't do it while the game is going on because if you have a streaming service you might be a couple possessions behind right. of what the actual live thing so the book has an advantage on you and all of a sudden you don't know what's happening we have mls too that mm -hmm. that already has leagues in other countries that have sports gaming elements to it mm -hmm. uh, all they have to do is just pretty much model after what they've already been seeing oh yeah uh, across over the seas world cup this fall is going to be an amazing game yeah. opportunity. Yeah, soccer is the most bet on sport in the world. You know, yep. it's the most popular sport in the world, so uh, it gets most of the money as well. So Xavier, we want to we want to cover the the information end of this, right? Yeah. You guys are all on the information end of this, and we want to get to the the conversation of who's giving the information. But yeah. just in general, and we can start with Pritch. Like, what do you? You guys are decent, you and Femi. What do you think of the information that is put out there? Because there's more and more information being put out there. You know, for the, the people who are digesting it, the betters. Yeah. Where do you think we are right now? Is it, is, it, is it quality stuff? Does it need to be cleaned up? Do we need more? Oh, man, there's so much. Um, you know, one of the things that opened up my eyes, Steve and Xavier, everybody on the panel, is uh, how data-driven sports betting is, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, in my beginning stages, I'm thinking, oh, yeah, I know. I mean, Cleveland's going to beat Tampa. You know, I, 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 can, I know what, what they're going to do out there on the field. But that didn't matter. That meant a hill of beans, man. I mean, so it was like there's so much data out there, and there is a ton of information. Uh, there's a lot of information I think is wasted. I think a waste of your time, to be honest with you. Um, so what we try to do certainly is try to streamline that, uh, focus in on what is most important, uh, and deliver it that way, right? And, and so uh, I, I think that's been received well, certainly at VEASAN. Uh, you know, and, and that's part of what I try to do, like, uh, as a former player. You know, I, there, there's so much garbage out there. It's like, why are you even paying attention to that? I mean, you could absorb it if you want. Uh, but uh, I've, I've learned and I've flattened my learning curve in terms of sports betting uh, from a data standpoint by just honing in uh, on a few factors. But there, there's just so much information out there right now. Yeah, I think that's there's so much. I think is like the right answer right now because it's so saturated with so many places putting out sports betting content. And I know as somebody who got into this space first, consuming it and then thinking to myself, okay, I think I can go ahead and do something like that with my broadcast background. It was a lot of trying to sift through the garbage and to find some of the actual information that is okay this is valuable and i might not 100 percent win this bet but i at least understand the process i can follow the logic here versus some places or some information uh, avenues to where it's maybe more so from an entertainment standpoint which is cool you know not everybody's in this to try to make money and all that as long as you go into that understanding that i'm just doing this as a hobby on a friday or saturday or sunday night that's cool everybody's different but i think depending on what you want to do with it there's the good stuff, but you might have to kind of swim through some of the trash a little bit at least to get to some of that good stuff. And, and I, I hate to be blunt about it, but that's just kind of where we are just because while it's amazing, I'm sure we'll get into this as well when we talk about more of 
the barrier of entry part of this conversation. Yeah. It's amazing that there's a lot of people that are able to get into this space, but then also means the expertise level might not be as high to where you got to be careful about what yeah. you're consuming. Yeah, does that make it so that some of the, the bigger content providers and networks <laughs> <laughs> gobble up knowing that they can be these spaces where there's more reliable information uh, to the consumer of, of sports gaming? I think so, to some extent. Um, you know, Action is definitely a place that hangs its hat on data and the tools that we provide and then the way that our experts analyze that data. I also think there is a huge opportunity to simply be authentic. I think there are people out there who can say, I'm not a betting expert. I'm not going to make you guys any money, but you really like me as a personality. Mm. Let's go make these bets together. And I think if you are authentic and engaging and honest about that, I think that's going to be the next wave of people who really break through because yeah. to yeah. your guys' point, everyone is trying to do it the same right, right. now. Yeah. And that's that's because the way that they're trying to do it is is effective, mm -hmm. but you're only going to get two or three people who are going to be the very best at doing it at that, that way. Yeah. Right. How then do you cut through if you can be honest with yourself and say, I'm really good. I'm not the top 0.01%. What is my superpower? What is my competitive well, advantage? Uh, to, to piggyback off that, Andrew, what is that best way and yeah. to deliver that? And, and how mm. do you, hey, this is how I rely on this, this particular type of information, yeah. this particular type of content. Well, it's really interesting because, you know, I'll, I'll speak from uh, personal experience. Like, um, not, not, not like personal, like for myself, but what I've heard and what I've seen. Um, you, have, you have experts out there in the space who have a format or, or, or platform, uh, and they'll shun athletes. Athletes don't know how to bet. Yep. Well, it's true because athletes couldn't bet. I'm not going to get on air and tell people that I'm an expert betting when I've only done it two years because I couldn't bet. Mm -hmm. But I'm credible with information that I know, though. Uh, and so if I approach it that way, being credible, am I going to suggest that, hey, I can win you this amount of money if you follow my bets? No, I'm not going to do that. But I'm going to give you credible information based on experience and what I know, uh, and that's how I've approached it. But uh, you know, you, you'll have you'll have, and I think it's jockeying for position, right? Because oh, you you have that credibility aspect, whether you're I don't know Jerry Rice and you're on this platform, or if you are John Henry over here trying to be a sports better, right, and trying to get people to, to view into you or to follow you. So there's that competitiveness that gets ugly at times. But I, I kind of tune it out, and I just want to stay true to people that are, are tuning in to me. Yeah. And I think that's the cool part about that for the consumers is that it's almost a buffet because there's different styles. And to answer the question of what is the best way to do it, I don't know what the best <laughs> way to do it. It would be combining it. If you get one person that combined all different techniques, that would be the best. But, I mean, someone like Pritch, I learn a lot from Pritch because he played in the league. He knows what it means to be an East Coast team traveling out to the West. That's something that factors into NFL handicapping. There's other people that we have at the network who are more data and number driven. To where, okay, how do they apply those numbers to what the lines are? There's other people that are more feel of like, okay, this is a motivational angle that I'm playing. So it's trying to incorporate all those different sorts of handicapping techniques to probably try to be the best. I mean, that's if you could do all that at once, you wouldn't need anybody else. You could just have your own self and you'd be the best there. But I think there's just there's the kind of a la carte style of picking out what you think the best content is and what you like the most as well, depending on what you want to do. If you want to make money, that's how. If you don't, you can get entertaining people who can do it as well. Took the words right out of my mouth. If <laughs> yeah. best means reach the widest audience to make the most possible money, then yeah, yeah you guys nailed it. <laughs> so coming up next, maybe the most important part of this roundtable, and Femi mentioned it, is the barriers to entry into this field. So we'll address that during our NABJ Sports Gambling Roundtable here on Cofield and Company up until 3 o'clock. Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield & Co. Now, back to the NABJ Gambling Roundtable. Well, this has been a lot of fun, and uh, we're running out of time. we got like five minutes left, yeah. and this is one of the more important parts of the conversation. Xavier Pope is here, uh, Femi and Pritch from Visa, and Andrew Lynch from uh, Action Network. Listen, you like... You know, we were talking about NABJ, and I'm looking around. I'm like, hey, we, we want some contributors. We want some African-American contributors. You know, another time we can do women. I look for female guests all the time. Entry into this information, the voices, 
who are giving out gambling information, it's pretty homogenized. It's a lot of whites. Yeah. So what do, what do we do? Because it's not, it's not in the greatest shape right now. Yeah, that's why I'm here. That's why this panel exists um, because uh, I'm, I'm someone that's very outspoken on Twitter. Uh, anyone who knows me knows how outspoken I am. But in behind being outspoken is using my platform to make a difference and make a change. And the things that I'm talking about make a difference, make a change. Um, I, I think it's important um, to have panels like this, to hear from diverse, diverse voices like you two, to let people know the opportunities that are out there. Um, how did you transition both to get into the space? And then, Andrew, <laughs> tell us um, also, dovetail off of that, where are you seeing these opportunities and what are the jobs specifically? Because this is the NABJ National Association of Black Journalists Convention. I'm uh, vice president of finance for the sports task force. Um, and one of the things I'm in is really huge for me is getting people jobs in this industry and opening those doors. So how did you two get that piece? And then, Andrew, how do you offer and in, in get people lined up to get those opportunities well i was broadcasting already uh i talked to solomon wilcox who's a mentor of mine way back in the day and you know when he was first starting he told me that nobody wanted to get into broadcasting didn't pay well wasn't glamorous us what you know coming off a career in the national football league uh how i got into the sports betting space is obviously uh networking and who you know and having an opportunity uh brian musburger from beeson came to me and uh they were expanding and, and thought that i would fit in um I didn't think about the diversity aspect of it because I didn't know who all was involved. But I, I realized uh, when Femi arrived, I was okay, right? I had company uh, because I didn't have any company in the very beginning. Uh, but, no, I, I never looked at it that way. But, I, sure, there's, there's more opportunity as there's more growth uh, in, in sports betting. Yeah. In my background, it's the traditional broadcasting background. I worked in local news and was working in Seattle as a weekend sports anchor. I got laid off. But – during my time in Seattle, I was already kind of thinking about getting into sports betting content because of PASPA, and I saw where kind of this was going. Okay, this is something that I want to know and have in my toolbox to be able to differentiate myself from the thousands of sports anchors that are out there who are trying to get to networks. And I usually, I typically, I use the pandemic as a time to kind of learn the content and learn how to speak it and how to write it and learning what people like in sports betting content to where that I knew that when the time came, I'd be ready to find a job. And I, luckily through my agent, I was able to find a job and I got noticed by VEASAN. And it, it was interesting because through consuming the content it was when I noticed, wow, there's not a lot of diversity in this space. Now, over the last 18 months, I would say it has improved. But it still has a long way to go. Yeah. And it is nice at Vicentor. I mean, Pritch and I are there. We have women. Stormy is Stormy. there hosting a show as well. So we have minorities and women in prominent places at the network. And I think that's really encouraging to see heading into the future that if we can continue to build on that, because I was talking to Andrew before we started this hour, the best way to find the best people is to look everywhere right. and not yeah. just look in a specific place. And that's kind of what it's like usually when we all start out. We hopefully can broaden those horizons now as we continue on. I think this is so much easier said than done. Yeah. Be yourself. Be different. Learn from others. But don't try to be them, right? Because, again, we're in a landscape that is so homogenized that being different and being able to cut through and engage an audience, that alone is, it's the second time I've said this now, but that's going to be a competitive advantage, right? Um, if you can give out 60% winners, you are going to find a place in this industry, right? Because this is an industry where if you can make money, that's what matters. And I think that focus is really nice in sports betting where it's not just, as, a, as someone who works in written content, it's not just try to get page views. It's try to get page views to get people to make bets, right? Um, I think it's important if you are a hiring manager to give yourself the time to expand your social circles and find, like Femi said, find the best person because that's your job as a business leader. So we have a hard out here, but... In 30 seconds, I'm not saying goodbye. So if you guys don't mind, we'll carry over for like three more minutes. Yeah, and then we'll wrap it up at the beginning of Cofield and Company. So we'll wrap up our NABJ Sports Gambling Roundtable. Xavier Pope, Femi and Pritch from VEASAN, Andrew Lynch from Action Network will continue with us. Because uh, I do want to address the other elephant in the room, and that is females in the space. Guys who are listening right now who react on social media to females, 
calm down, please. <laughs> You're listening to Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. So welcome in. Our normal starting time at 3 o'clock for Cofield and Company. This is going to be our home every Friday, so we'll uh, tell you about all the prizes and specials at Treasure Island, Golden Circle, Sportsbook, and Bar. Wrapping up our NABJ Sports Gambling Roundtable. Xavier Pope put this whole thing together. Andrew Lynch is here. Femi and Pritch are here from VEASAN. And I didn't want to say goodbye in 30 seconds. But I, <laughs> I did go out last hour on a point uh, that I think is really important. Um, there are a lot of female sports fans out there. Like, my, my girlfriend is a major sports fan. She... She's up in the morning before me. She's giving me NFL news. Like, she's really into it. Um, and we should embrace females in sports in general. It's a big part of the audience. And we certainly should from a gambling standpoint, and especially with gambling voices, sports gambling voices. You guys have seen it. Mm-hmm. You mentioned Stormy. Stormy, I, I think Stormy did something brave because she wasn't in the space, right? And now she's with VSIN. She left a really good job with VGK. There is no reason for so many guys on social media to act like horses asses they're they're incredibly mean and dismissive and this notion that women don't know sports only guys do guys i I thought we got past this like 25 years ago with women just getting into regular broadcast journalism yeah 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 the the abuse that women journalists in general get online Mm. is disgusting uh and uh, it's something that men have to look at themselves and understand that you aren't less of a man for allowing women to occupy the spaces that you occupy, number one. And number two, there are plenty of sports. There's the WNBA. Um, there's women's soccer. There's all the different that women have that are connected to. Mm-hmm. They, they have coverage. of, And that can also be a space where sports gaming is for women. And also women are huge consumers of the NFL. Yeah. Uh, and and NFL caters to them every year in October. Um, unfortunately, that's not, that's not forget about Deshaun Watson. That's whole that story. But there's a there's as an appetite for that content, and women are a part of that. Think about March Madness. Women participate in pools all the time, and so uh, men get out of the way, let some women lead and step up and be a part of the content creation as well. Yeah, I don't know why it exists on social media. I mean, I probably can't explain why that happens, but I, I will say this: um, as a player. Uh, some of the sharpest, most intelligent uh, reporters and, and people that covered me were female. Uh, as a broadcaster for two decades now, some of the sharpest, uh, best resources I have are, are females. Uh, and so, and that's from sports, any sport. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I'm talking the Washington Times. I'm talking about SI. I'm talking any any publication, any any media outlet. Period. Uh, so. Uh, I think people should pump the brakes on that. I mean, it's all about a credibility issue. I get that. Uh, but uh, a lot of times on social media, you think you know, but you really don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I, it's really I, – I worked with many uh, female colleagues when I was coming up in broadcast journalism, and now we work with Stormy here mm-hmm. at VEASAN. But I see on social media a lot of the women who are also in the space here, and it's, there's a certain pressure on them to always get everything correct always get yeah. everything right because if they yeah. make one slip up it's like oh see she doesn't know sports right. or she doesn't know this oh you mispronounced the backup guard's name you don't know it's like okay well i don't know the backup guard's name but you're not going to bring that you're not going to bring that <laughs> right. same smoke to me because you right. think that oh he's a guy talking sports yeah. so it, there's like a heightened sense of pressure to where oftentimes like the, the women that you meet in this industry are incredibly mm-hmm. sharp because you have to go through so much just to get there um, and it's just like it's similar to like minorities having to go through so much to get to the place that you are at. These minorities and women, it's oftentimes like you just have to be on your A game. Otherwise, you're instantly written off as, oh, they're incredible. They don't know what they're talking about. I want to wrap this up with a, a question about specifically what are the top five jobs that are in sports betting media? What what are they, Andrew? And let us know what they are and 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 why they are important for um, for those who don't know about those jobs, especially as students and uh, and younger folks that are getting into the content space. And what are they? So, from my perspective, I would say a lot of people want to be forward-facing talent, and we need to get better about that. We need to have more diverse faces, more diverse backgrounds as the people who are appearing on screen, as the people who are writing content, as the people who are appearing on podcasts, right? 
But I would encourage anyone who is listening to this, don't overlook the behind the scenes as well, where you can have such a massive impact, right? For example, at Action Network, we are likely going to be adding someone to our team who is a liaison for all of our talent. That is an incredibly important role that works with all of our various departments, right? I would argue it's going to be one of the most important positions at our job for helping those talent get on as many platforms as possible, be as smart as possible when they're on those platforms, and continue to grow their share of voice. Being someone who helps set the strategy for NFL gambling content at a big media company, that is an incredibly important job, right? Mm -hmm. So the people who are, you know, the ones actually creating the content and putting their voices on the line, that is always going to be really appealing. And I hope that we continue to push to be more diverse in that space. But again, don't overlook the impact you can have behind the scenes. And also in the research and some of the analytics mm -hmm. that are associated with getting information that that informs, um, that creates um, the different content that's coming out there. You know, I almost think, in just kind of sports betting aside, one of the top jobs in journalism might be, and it directly ties to sports betting, is becoming an insider. I mean, think about Adrian Wojnarowski, Adam Schefter, Chris Haynes, all these guys who are insiders as sports bettors, we rely on their information all the time. And the sports books, I'm sure, are trying to partner with one of these national insiders to get some of that information as well. So if you might not want to be a host or a sports betting analyst or someone that's all in the data, if you were just a journalist and wanted to see what the top job in yeah. journalism is and where this is going, look at the contracts that Adam Schefter and Adrian Wojnarowski just signed, right. and you can get a clue on where the top jobs are at. What I found is fascinating is um, if you're a ticket writer, too. Uh, I don't know. Uh, it's... it's you know, you think about if you want to be well-rounded. Like, like if I can go back in time and get behind a counter of a book, man, what I could do with that right now, right, uh, on, in addition. But I couldn't do that, obviously, because I'm playing football. But uh, I, I think for anybody who's aspiring, uh, just be as well-rounded as you can be uh, from, and, and attack it from all angles, a ticket, a ticket writer uh, or anything associated with a book and then anything associated with a sports media or, or a sports betting entity as well. I want to thank each of you, uh, Pritch, Femi, Andrew, um, Steve, getting this opportunity to, to do this um, and be a part of what we've been doing here at National Association of Black Journalists during our, our conference. Uh, props to, without in the audience, my man, uh, A. Shara Blakely, um, for supporting um, great programming right here at Treasure Island. Thank you, Treasure Island, um, for, uh, for part of this. And also thank you, uh, ESPN Las Vegas. Uh, for this wonderful panel as well. So this has been great. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas.